welcome to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast. My name is Jason Dukes. I'm on team here with Brentwood Baptist, and I'm with my normal colleague and partner in crime in this, uh, the good Dr. Paul Wilkinson. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and we have with us today a very special guest. He actually is a member of our church family and longtime college coach, part of now what's called the Nations of Coaches, which is a really cool ministry that helps uh, place guys into college athletic settings who are about disciple making and encouragement and mentoring and things like that. Yeah, we'll link to it for sure. I yeah, think we'll... you described it to me as FCA the other way around. <laughs> no, that's good. FCA ministry is primarily with the players. Yeah. Ours is primarily with the coaches. Yep. With the thinking that if you reach the coach, then the coach will be involved in reaching the players. That's good. That's good. Well, Coach Clayton is with us today. And real briefly, because we're going to dive into our topic today right away, but real briefly, give the give our folks just a real quick summary of who you are so they at least have a context as we dive into a conversation today about race relations and disciple-making and the church. <clears throat> well, let me start with probably... <laughs> What would be the most interesting fact um, is that I am a 68-year-old African-American who, since 1973, has only lived in a predominantly black community one year hmm. and have not attended a predominantly black church since 1973. There you go. And I say that. Uh, just to give some idea about my experience, yeah, and uh, in, in being involved in churches that uh, that are predominantly Caucasian, and that that's a big deal in the context of this conversation because people make this statement. Tell me, let's start with this. Tell me what you think about this statement. People say the most segregated hour in America is eleven o'clock on Sunday morning. Do you love that statement? Do you hate that statement? What does it do to you? I don't think it's any different than any other day, <laughs> honestly. Uh, the only reason that statement is made is because on Sunday morning, people leave to go to church. Yeah. And so what they're saying is that once that takes place, then within the church setting, there is a lot of segregation. And then in the black church, there's a lot of segregation. And so during that hour, you don't have people working together, employed, those types of things, which would bring about some additional type of integration. Sure. So I understand why that statement is made. Um, in my mind, it's just it's just basically all the same. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that because I think in a lot of ways, you it's valid to question that statement and say, what's different the other days of the week? Well— because seg segregation is not just something that takes place physically. Hmm. It's something that takes place mentally. Yeah. And so from the mental perspective, it hasn't changed at all. That's right. That's right. So so talk about your experiences. I mean, you say you've been in more of a Caucasian setting from a church perspective. It's, some of that's probably been driven by where you've lived and what you did and just the way you were relating. But but what have those experiences been like? What What's been meaningful to you about that? What's been hard about that? Because my my growing up, I told you before we came on the recording, my growing up experience is the opposite, right? Like my first 18 years 
were in a predominantly African-American setting where I was one of the few white kids. And so a little bit different setting, but, I, but I'm but i curious what you would say to how meaningful and even maybe what some of the challenges were that you've been involved in more of a Caucasian church setting. Well, let me tell you first how it came about. Uh-huh. It came about because as a college student, I had a basketball coach uh, that just loved Jesus. And he shared that with us. And it was actually my college basketball coach that God used to change my thinking, to change my life. And my college coach led me to Christ. So that was part of it. My college coach was Caucasian. So that had a lot to do with it. I went to a lot of Bible studies at his home. Um, He was very intentional about the things he did with the team. Um, And so he was really one of my first real serious teachers. Yeah. Uh, of scripture. And then I met uh, an older fellow named Dr. Owen Crouch, who was a, uh, a, a Bible professor, uh, a Greek specialist. His New Testament was written in Greek and he would read from it. And he gave me two manuscripts to read. One was on Hebrews and he diagrammed every sentence in Greek and every sentence in English. And he gave that to me. I said, I want you to read this and tell me what you think. And then he came back later and he gave me another one that was called Matthew, the Gospel of Fulfillment. And then I I went through that. And I don't know why I was interested in it, but I did. (laughs) And then the third one was he wrote a book called Not Guilty on Hmm. Romans. Hmm. So my early mentors, spiritually, were Caucasians. Yeah. Wow. And so that that just kind of catapulted you in that direction. Right. And so so here you are. Fast forward to today here with Brentwood Baptist. We we've had an initiative. I guess it's been going for about is it 18 months now? Is that fair to say? Would you say? Yes, that's that that's fair to say. And so about 18 months now, a racial unity team, if you will, for lack of a better way to describe it. And and it's it's represented maybe a two or three different campuses, if I understand right. And Scott Harris, our missions minister, has been a part of that, a catalyst in that. But you've been on that team. What's what's been the goal and the hope of that group? The purpose or our why statement is this. We would like for our I'm going to say in layman's term, we, <laughs> not theological. We would like for our practice to reflect the doctrine. Hmm. We want to live out what we have been taught and what we say we believe. Hmm. And you can't do that as a believer if that does not involve loving your neighbor. Yeah. That's the second commandment. Sure. And so if we say that we're believers and we're followers of Christ, And if we say we're going to live by the scripture, then we are challenged to love one another. Hmm. And that needs to be evident in everything that we do. And it especially needs to be evident in the church because the church as a follower of Christ should be obedient to the two great commandments. Yeah. It's good. It's really good. What I'm curious in that group, just even that group alone, what what have the relationships been like? How how have how, maybe I'll just ask it very bluntly. I'll ask it this way: 
have any of them become family to you? Oh, wow. There's no question that the group has become very, very close. Hmm. And, and it's a mixture of, of black and white. Um, Seth is involved in our group now. Seth is Chinese. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> what has pulled us together has been a better understanding of what we don't know. Hmm. For example, um, I think of one of the, the members here at Brentwood that's a female Caucasian that was in tears one day just saying, I just never knew this. Hmm. I just, I didn't understand. Wow. I've not been exposed to some of the things that you all are talking about. And, um, and she has an adopted child that's black. Hmm. And so she's also looking at it from a different perspective because she wants that child to be loved and cared for. And she wants that child to have a good experience in the world. Yeah. But she's finding out that there are people who will not accept that child for no other reason. Yeah. But because she didn't have that experience, it wasn't something she was really aware of that yeah. she really thought about. I don't like, I don't think that she was, it's an unintentional ignorance is yeah. what it is. Yeah. You know, um, and then there are blacks on that group that got involved with Kairos and were just loved by the people in Kairos and just had such a great experience. And as a result of that decided, I want to be a part of Brentwood family. Hmm. And I love my Brentwood family. <clears throat> there's there's a, an older uh, black gentleman who uh, had an experience of being here. His son died uh, and the church just loved him hmm. and cared for him and reached out to him. And, and when he talks about this church, all he talks about is the love that the church has had for him and his family. Wow. And so their experiences brought them into the group and their experiences have said that our being black has not been an issue hmm. with a lot of the people that we know. Yeah. Now the other side of that is they will say, but we don't know everyone. <laughs> and there are probably some people out there that that would not be the experience that we would have. Yeah. But they're, they're basing things on the experience that they've actually had with other people here. But the goal would be for Brentwood to make such an impact in the way that we love each other and care for each other that when people on the outside take a look at Brentwood Baptist, they say, man, what's different? Yeah. Why, why are they able to do this? Yeah. And then let us take the lead in doing that. Be a, be a church that's a leader in the community. Yeah. Welcoming everyone. So, so uh, you know, before we jumped onto the recording, you made a statement that I think is, is more than worth repeating. And that is that this issue really isn't just some sociological issue or some anthropological issue. It's not, it's not just something that we're struggling in in society because there's just this unintentional awareness or even because there's just something that some people were taught by their mom and dad who were taught that by their mom and dad. This really is a biblical issue. This really is an issue where if we are followers of Jesus and we don't recognize what the the biblical narrative is, what the scriptures really call us to, and really you might could even say what God is even up to, right? If we don't recognize what the Father is up to, then we may miss why this conversation even 
matters, why it's central. In other words, it's not a peripheral conversation from a theological perspective. It might even be central from a theological perspective. And, and I mean, unpack that a little bit. Like, talk about why, in your opinion, even in the group, you just hit on it, that beginning to become aware of what the scriptures really teach is what's bringing some of the change that you're seeing in the people in that group. Talk about why why that might be a great first step for folks who are listening to take if they're really wanting to make advance in this. What many in the group did not understand, and even those in the classes that I've taught, that four-week study, what they have not understood is that this what we call racial reconciliation or the unifying of the races. Let me, let me rephrase that. Hmm. The unifying of the nations. Races is yeah. a sociological term. Sure. The scripture never uses that term. It speaks in terms of nations. Yep. And, and what they're seeing is that this is a plan that God had from the very beginning. Yep. And so what we see happening when we look in Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 7, and we see the different nations gathered in heaven, what, we, what we're what we failing to realize, that was not an accident. Yep. That's what God wanted it to look like. That's what he meant in Isaiah when he said, I'm God, there's no one like me. I have declared the end from the beginning. Hmm. And then from the very beginning, we see Abraham becoming the father of, a na- of, a, of many nations. Yep. And we see how the world was populated through the family of Noah. Yeah. And his sons and, and, and everyone had one language. And then that language was people were confused in their language because of, of the Tower of Babel. And they were sent out and they became different nations and brothers fought against brothers. Hmm. First cousins against first cousins, yeah. the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Philistines, the Israelites. All these guys are cousins and they're fighting each other, but they're fighting each other because of sin. Yeah. Sin's the culprit. Yeah. Sin is that is that thing that, that really creates the problem for us and keeps us from loving each other the way that God wants us to. Yeah. And so God even tells Isaiah that I want salvation for all the nations. Hmm. And we see in the Bible where God does some special things to bring more nations in. Yeah. And Paul tells us that it was a mystery hmm. that God always intended for the Jew and Gentiles yeah. to be brothers. And that's the same thing. Uh, that same thing would apply today. Yeah. But we don't see that because we're looking at it from a sociological standpoint. We're trying to solve a spiritual problem with social mandates. Yeah. And you can't do it. Yep. And so that's why we struggle so much. And we especially struggle with the part that says, love one another. Hmm. That we're all created in the image of God. Yep. And we struggle with that because we need a heart transformation. That's right. And that's what the scripture tells us. Yep. In Ezekiel and Jeremiah, he says, I'll take out the old stony heart. I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll cause you to walk in my ways. Hmm. Or the scripture tells us in first John that, that God is love. Okay. And everyone that loveth is born of God and they know God, but they love not. They know not God for God is love. Hmm. So one of the key ways that we know if a person's life has been transformed spiritually is their ability to now love. Hmm. 
And the second way we know is their ability to forgive. Hmm. That's another issue we have racially. Yeah. We struggle forgiving each other. Blacks struggle forgiving whites in, in forgiving whites for some of the things that have happened in the past. And, and so we sometimes want to hold your grandparents and your great-grandparents responsible, hold you responsible for something they did. Yeah. Not understanding that in Scripture, God says you don't do that. In Ezekiel chapter 18, he says, each man will be held accountable for his sin. Hmm. You see? So I can't hold your relatives responsible for what happened to my relatives. Yeah. What I have to do is even say to you, Jason, you don't have to earn my forgiveness. Paul, you don't have to earn my forgiveness. I freely give you my forgiveness. Yeah. Because that's the example that Christ set. Yeah. That's the problem we're having. Yeah. The problem is we're just trying to resolve a spiritual issue sociologically, and it just doesn't work. Yep. Yeah, and something I've been meditating on to to jump into with what you're saying here, Coach, is that a lot of the language you used was personal and individual language, that there needs to be an individual heart transformation in me, and that saturates my community. And now you have this group that has had this transformation and can offer forgiveness in the name of Christ and through the power of the Spirit. But I think the purely sociological interpretation forces us into groups and collectives, that it destroys the individual in some ways. So if the answer is an individual transformation, but we're only ever viewing it as you're in this class, you're in that class, you're in the oppressor class, or you're in the power class, then it's really tough to, to even get a handle on what individual transformation might look like. So some of our general categories in our language won't get us towards that answer if it is, in fact, the solution. And we're looking for man to answer the problem. Yeah. And here's what we know. As smart as man is, man can, man can go into the human body and he can do a heart transplant or a liver transplant. And he can extend life. Hmm. That's all he can do is extend it. He can't prevent death. He can extend life. And, and, the, and the problem with that is as smart as we are, we can't solve our basic problem. That's right. Because our basic problem is sin. Yep. And man has no answer for sin. Only God does. And racial prejudice is hatred. Yep. And hatred is sin. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. So I, I think at first what I'm about to say maybe sounds too simple, maybe sounds even somewhat hokey, possibly even cliché. Right. But is it can, can you can you even take it to a baseline to this baseline of understanding that if 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 we make Christianity about moral perfectionism, then all we do is keep our eyes upon ourselves. But if we make it about a people who begin to be completely shaped and defined by a God who wants a family that is loving and good and who experiences the fullness of his love and his goodness. If, if we recognize our spirituality shows itself, our worth shows itself in community instead of in a mirror, instead of in individualism, Right. So in other words, it's not that the individualism doesn't matter. It's because the transformed heart is what leads to that kind of community. But I think because we've let, I think the evil one has duped us 
into making our spirituality so individualistic that he's even deceived us there because sin itself, what it does is it makes me think you'll never look out for my good. So I'll look out for my good and I'll conquer you if I have to look out. If it takes conquering you to look after my good, I'll conquer you. That's what sin does to us, right? And like in on all levels, it does that. And here we are talking about just a core issue to the brokenness of humanity. But if we don't recognize that we are fully loved and God didn't ask us to be good, he actually invited us into his goodness and gave us his goodness. And each of us are worth dying for. If we can see, if we can begin to awaken to that, then there's hope for reconciliation, right? Otherwise, in other words, it's a spiritual fruit. It's not going to be some effort we make that results. It's the fruit of the gospel taking root and being embodied by God's people. It, it's not some effort that we're going to get so right that eventually this changes. It's got to be a heart change. I mean, that's what I'm hearing you say. Is that is that fair to say? Am I making it too cliche or hokey or... No, I'm, I'm going to try to simplify it even a little bit more. Hmm. The God of this world has blinded our minds. And in the process of blinding our minds, we think we're smarter than we are. Hmm. We think we're wise. Okay, and you know that's a problem. Yeah. Okay, because the scripture tells us that the, that the, uh, that the wisdom of man is foolishness hmm. to God. Yeah. But in our wisdom, we think we know how to do this thing. We know how to fix it on our own. That individual perfectionism you're talking about. <clears throat> the problem with that is this. In studying one day, I got this, this idea. And the idea is this, that, that life is like a stage. Hmm. And the Christians are, are the actors on the stage. And the world is out there watching this play. And what God wants them to see is the result and the reality of the power of his saving grace. Hmm. And so the world is supposed to look at the Christians on this stage or in this play and say, wow, look at how they love each other. Yeah. Look at how they care for each other. I wonder why they can do that. Hmm. Oh, I see. The only reason they can do that is because of the grace of God and the relationship they have with him. Hmm. And so what we do on stage is we become a way of God being glorified because he has done what only he can do. Yeah. And so I like nuggets, what I call nuggets. And here's the nugget. There can be no reconciliation of, of nations or races until there's first a reconciliation with God. And that's what God has called us to. Yeah. Once we become reconciled with him, he says, okay, now I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. So you are a kingdom and citizen of heaven, but you are an ambassador of mine. And what I've done is I've sent you to earth. Yeah. And you'd be my ambassador. You represent me. That's right. You show the world what a relationship with me looks like. That's really what this is. And so it says that he gives us the word of reconciliation. Yeah. In other words, he says, let me give you what you need to get this done. That's right. Because you can't do it on yourself. Uh, yourself. That's, that's, the way I, that's the way I see it. 
No, I think that's beautiful. And and that Second Corinthians five passage, when he speaks about that, the ministry of reconciliation and that we're his ambassadors, it's in the context of the verse that all Southern Baptists quote, right? Like that in Christ we're a new creation. Like the context of that new creation is the ministry of reconciliation and being an ambassador of that. And and Paul in Ephesians two and, th- and th- now we're meddling here. Paul in Ephesians 2 takes it a step further and says, Jesus isn't about races reconciling. He's actually about creating one race. There is no other. There's no more of you're this race or this nation or this ethne. He's creating a dwelling for himself of one people, one race. That's how what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. And like you said earlier, it's that biblical literacy. If we're not aware of that, that that's what God's up to, then why would we ever take it, take it so seriously that we would make it a core part of what we value as his church? I have, I have four things that I like to think about in this whole process. It's a process. It starts with the wisdom of God because hmm. God knows how he wants this done. It starts with the wisdom of God. Then it moves to the love of God, for God so loved the world. And then we move from the love of God, we develop a love for God. Hmm. And once we develop the love for God, we now have the ability to develop a love for each other. Yeah, that's good. I I think there's a a process that we have to go through, but we can't skip the process. Yeah. You know, I can't go from A to D. It just it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. And then that's what I like about first John, because in, in chapter five, then John tells us these things I've written that you might know you have eternal life. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is the 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 fourth and fifth chapter especially is all about love. That's right. That's right. You know you've passed from life into death when you love one another. That's right. If you say you love God whom you've not seen, but hate your brother whom you've seen, then you're alive. That's right. I mean, he's very plain. Um, And it's interesting to me that the idea there is, here's how you know. Hmm. You know because you start to love like God loves. That's right. And here's what that means. When you are at your worst, I still love you. Hmm. Romans 5. Yep. That's what it's about. Yep. So this whole issue, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what we're doing here. And what we're attempting to do here. Yeah. And I've been excited about the response that I've seen from members here as we have talked through things. I've been excited about uh, the, 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 ministry, the ministerial staff and, and what they're doing and, and how we're trying to come, come together to get this done. Because at the end of the day, if you look at Revelation 7, you see something real interesting. At the very beginning of Revelation 7, you know you've got the 144,000. Hmm. And they're all where? From the tribe. Yep. They're all they're Jews. They're Israelites. But then, right after that group, <laughs> then you get all the other nations. That's right. And so what you find out is the way God intended for it to be in the very beginning is the way it is in the end. Yep. And I really believe this. We can't do enough to prevent God from having this look like he wants it to look. I can fight it, and you can fight it, 
But at the end of the day, the makeup of heaven would be exactly what God intended to be from the very beginning. Hmm. So I'm never discouraged. It's kind of like a song I heard when I was I was uh, doing some ministry work in Turkey. And I heard this gospel choir. They said, Coach, you want to go to the gospel choir? Well, what do I think? I think I'm going to go hear some brothers singing. <laughs> and I get there. There were one or two brothers, but, you know, that was it. But the song they sang was this. I'd never heard it since, hmm. but I remember part of it. They said, sometimes I get discouraged, and I think that all my work's in vain. But then the Holy Spirit revives my soul again. Hmm. So I won't be satisfied. I won't be satisfied until I see Jesus coming through the clouds. Wow. We have been called to love each other. And so that's what we work to do. And even though it looks like we're not making progress, you see, be not deceived. God is not dead. Mm -hmm. You know, continue in well-doing for a new season. You're Just stay the course. Yeah. Stay the course. You don't know what impact you're having. And that's what I would say to people. Man, stay the course. Love on each other. Don't worry about what the world has to say. Yeah. As a black man, I can't be concerned about other blacks saying to me, man, why are you, why are you going to a white church? Yeah. Man, why do you got white friends? I don't have time for that foolishness. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not trying to please them. Yeah. That's not what this is all about. Yeah. We have a call to be obedient. Yep. You have that call, I have that call. You have that call to love me, I have that call to love you. Yep. Now, the question is, will we move over to the fifth chapter of Ephesians where Paul said, be imitators of God. Hmm. And then he said, walk in love. That's right. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's right. It's so good. So good. Well, well, I want to I want to jump back real quick before we uh before we close. The guys that you said discipled you early on, your coach, and then that uh, fellow in the in your church, was was there anything unique? What was it that made you trust that they loved you? Why would you give them the time to let them disciple you? It was the way they lived because I had been in church and I had been frustrated. And I was frustrated because I didn't really know anyone that lived what I understood the Christian life to be on a daily basis. Hmm. You know, my parents weren't Christians. I just, I just didn't know anyone. I'm not saying there wasn't someone. I'm just saying I didn't know anyone. But so you what, had an idea of what it should look like. Yes. And so what happened, Paul, was I really started thinking it was a fallacy. Wow. I said, man, this is, this is all made up. I know there's a Bible and all that. I said, but this stuff's made up because Surely I would know someone that's living that way, but I didn't. Hmm. The first person I met that lived that way every day was my college coach. Hmm. And I didn't want to trust him. I thought there was a game being played or something hmm. was going on. And, and as bad as this is to say, I can remember thinking, okay, now any day <laughs> I'm going to see. Yeah. Any day he's going to fall flat on his face just like everybody else. Yeah. And it never happened. Hmm. It just never happened. And what I thought was just happening with me, I found out was happening with my teammates. <laughs> and other guys were feeling the same way. Wow. And, and, and guys would make a statement like, man, you know, coach saved my life. Hmm. What do you mean he saved my life? And then they'd tell me things that I didn't know. Wow. You know, just amazing. But yeah. so to answer your question, 
What got my attention and made me trust him was the way he lived every day. Mm. Wow. That's good. That was it. So good. Well, Coach, thank you for coming on with us. I mean, this, I, I feel like this is a conversation that we could keep going for a couple hours. Just starting. <laughs> like, so maybe what we can do is this. Would you be willing, you know, we, we've been doing just one episode a week, but I I think this merits more than that. Would you be willing to to come back in, in, in sometime in the next few days or the next week and and let's just dive in a little further and maybe have even grab a couple more episodes that we can put out there. Cause I think people would really benefit from a conversation that takes not only where we are now, but even takes it further into like what you just described about your coach and what it looks like to not, not let this be an artificial project, but to be a very sincere and loving life, right? Like, like what, what would that look like? And, and so I, I think it would be worth our time if you're willing to give it, if you're going to be in town the next few, the next few, the next week or so. But I think it'd be worth our time to do that if you're willing to do that. Well, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And let me say something that I think is really important. One of the things that encouraged me to be involved with this racial unity group is Brent Woods. Acts 1-8 plan hmm. and the mission. Because when we talked about having gospel conversations anytime, anywhere with anybody. Yeah. And I looked at that and I said, now, are they serious about that? <laughs> because the anytime's easy. The anywhere is easy. But the anybody's not easy. Right. That's right. Is there a real commitment on the part of the church to have those gospel conversations with anybody. Yep. And if that is the case, it's going to mean people moving outside of their comfort zone and being intentional about engaging people who don't look like them. That's right. And so that encouraged me to do it because I was thinking, if, if they're serious about this ministry plan, they've got to be serious about that. Yep. So I want to get involved and see if we're serious. That's right. I'm test, sorry. Test it and see. That's it. So good. So good. Well, I I I I apologize because it's my schedule that's tight. We probably could keep going here. So um, yeah, you get out. So I'm gonna have to exit. But but now, if you guys want to go ahead and keep the conversation going right now, Paul, you run with it. Uh, coach has a lot of people counting. Um, if not, we can we'll grab some more time though in the next in the next uh, little bit. But. Coach, thank you for coming in and thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for being in that group and let's continue this conversation. And so uh, just know if you're listening that the, the the next one or two parts of this conversation will be coming out with this too and and uh, over the next week or two and, and, um, and we'll keep that conversation going. But thank you again for being with us today and and um, let's let's just pray. And we ask you, listen to those who are listening, to pray that that these two Sundays that are focusing on this topic become a whole lot more than just two Sundays, and and that God will make it more than what it really is. And and um, we again just thank you for being with us today.